Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to open them with me, I will be in 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. And if you want to put your finger in Psalm 59, we will also look at Psalm 59 today. So 1 Samuel 19, to begin with, we'll read that and then we'll also talk about Psalm 59. I want to thank a couple people as we jump in here. I want to thank the trustees for all their work of getting uh, everything out here and ready for this. We're so thankful for them. I also want to thank Josh and Bethany for their work, making sure the live stream happens. So those of you that are watching online from a tent, I'm sure you are, as we worship from a tent, I'm sure you are also thankful for their hard work on this. I also want to thank John Schultz as we are using his sound equipment today. So let's thank those people together. Amen. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, we ended with, be still my soul. Is that ever irrelevant to where you and I live, that we need our souls stilled? I mean, you don't have to watch the news for very long. And if you really start thinking about what you're watching, you get kind of itchy and kind of afraid and mad all at the same time. It kind of seems like things have gone from bad to worse. And in one sense or another, as as you look at sometimes we get more and more divided, more and more suspicious of each other more and more mad at each other. It seems like things go from bad to worse. But this, of course, isn't just true. And uh, the really big stuff that you see on the news, but also little stuff. Let's talk about our families for a moment. Sometimes in our families, things go from bad to worse. Let's, Let's say, for instance, that there's a kid in the family. Do you have any kids here? If you're a kid, would you wave your hands at me? Very good, yeah. So if you're a kid and you don't get your way, does that ever happen? Like in theory, could that happen that you're a kid and you wouldn't get your way? And then because you don't get your way and you really want your way, you throw a temper tantrum. I mean, that could happen in theory, right? And then you get in the habit of throwing temper tantrums when you don't get your way. That could move from bad to worse. And what I want you to see this morning is that it wouldn't, if you're a kid, this is true for kids too. It wouldn't just be going from bad to worse for you. It would be going from bad to worse for you because you'd be developing the habit of throwing a temper tantrum when you don't get your way. And let me tell you, you don't grow out of that. You, you see your parents sometimes maybe throw temper tantrums. Like That could go from bad to worse. And it doesn't just get bad, go from bad to worse for you. It goes from bad to worse for your parents and your siblings and everyone around you. When you get good at throwing temper tantrums and that comes naturally and quick to you, it gets bad for everybody. I mean, let's talk to me. I mean, this is stereotypical and uh, maybe I'll get in trouble for this later. But let's talk to moms for a second. Let's say that moms, when things aren't going the way mom wants them to, mom starts to worry. Like, in theory, moms could worry. I mean, in theory, some moms could worry. 
Well, I mean, is that good? Remember what Jesus said about worry. Is Does worry help you accomplish things? Does worry solve your problems for you? What I want you to see is if you develop the habit of worry when your way isn't being done, when you're not getting your way and you develop the habit of worry, it's bad for you. And it's bad for the people around you. Is mom more fun or less fun to be around when she's worried? I'll let you answer that question on your own. Okay, let's talk to dad for a minute. When dad starts yelling because he's not getting his way, or when dad starts pouting and going into the corner because he's not getting his way, or dad starts drinking because he's not getting his way, that's bad for him. It's also bad for everybody around him. This is what we're going to see today. We're going to see a king by the name of Saul who lived a my way right away life. Who lived a my, this is, this is going to be the kind of the, if, if I had 60 point font out here, this would be in 60 point font. He lived a my will be done life. And when he didn't get his way, he tried super hard to get his way. And he did sinful things to try to get his way. And I want you to see how that made everyone else's life miserable. It was bad for him. It was also bad for everybody else. Watch what happens when he tries to live my will be done rather than God's will be done. So we're going to read to you from Psalm. I'm sorry, from 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. Saul is the king. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son. Okay, so so Saul is talking to his son. His son's name is Jonathan. And to all his servants that they should kill David. Sounds kind of extreme, doesn't it? I mean, think about that. He gives them a shoot on sight. Notice, if you see David, just start shooting. He doesn't want David to take his place as king. And so he's saying, my will be done. I will be king. Then Jonathan will be king. David will not be king. And that probably means I need to kill him. So let's kill him. We're still in verse one. But Jonathan, his son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, my father seeks to kill you. He's given a shoot on sight license to us. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in secret and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to his Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David. Because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against David, sin against innocent blood, by killing David without cause? Hey, somebody that's a kid, which Philistine was Jonathan just talking about? Which Philistine? He was from Gath. Asher. Goliath. That is true. It was Goliath. This is the David and Goliath Philistine. 
And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Hey, what did Saul just say? Okay, well, we won't kill him then. Never mind about the shoot on sight thing. Let's let him live. He's fine. He's our friend. Let's bring him back home and he'll be safe. It's kind of like, you know, we were talking about this in the discussion group, and they said it really reminded them of an abusive cycle where, in once, you know, it goes from abusive to, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again, to back to abusive. Watch how this goes. Verse 7. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Everything kind of goes back to normal. Verse 8, and there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. Remember last week we said that's kind of like Saul's pacifier. It's kind of like something Saul has to have all the time to make him feel good. It's like he's a bully with a spear, and it makes everyone else nervous that he's around as he's holding the spear because the guy could come unglued any second. Remember, we, in 1810, it's the same words as back then. In 1810, what we saw last week, Saul was holding a spear then in his hand as well. Okay, so we're in verse 9, second half. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul, and he struck the spear into the wall. You know, just kind of... Remember we had Sully demonstrate throwing a spear for us last week? Like, he, Saul has his mind, I'm going to throw this spear so hard, it's going to go through David, and it's going to pin him to the wall. And then David just barely ducks, and the spear goes into the wall, you know, brrr, and it's just sitting there. David thinks, well, time to go. And David fled and escaped that night. And Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him. Okay, do you ever feel like there's creepy people outside your house? I hope not. You know, like, I hope you never have creepy people outside your house. But David had creepy people outside his house. And David could not call the police because the head of the police, the king, Sent them there. Imagine that. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape your life, with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. And Michael took an image, or an idol in some translations, and laid it on the bed and put a pillow with goat's hair on its head, and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And the messengers came in. Behold, the image was in the bed, with the pillow of goat's hair on its head. And Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me thus? And let my enemies go, that he may... And so thus he has escaped. And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Hey, question. Did David threaten to kill Michael? No. Okay, here's what I want you to see now, just for a second. Saul has become the kind of guy that you can't trust. So 
He says to Jonathan, after Jonathan speaks sanity in his, into his life, David hasn't done anything wrong. Why are we trying to kill David? Why do we have a shoot on sight order against David? And he talks to, Jonathan talks sanity to his dad, and then his dad makes Jonathan into a liar. Saul is the kind of guy that makes his own kids into liars because he is living a my will be done life, and that has unhinged him from sanity. He is also the kind of guy that his daughter has to lie to. He is the kind of guy that his daughter has to deceive. Because he is living a my will be, be done life, and he has become unhinged from sanity. He is completely unstable. I want you to draw the connection between my will be done and the effect it has on your son and your daughter. One more. Verse 18. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel. Oh, that guy's still alive? Are you kidding? We haven't heard from him in chapters. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And he, told, and he was told to Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, Saul, Samuel, standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul so that they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers. Okay, so he sends the first batch of messengers. Now he's going to send the second batch of messengers. They also prophesied. Now we're on the third batch of, prop, of messengers in verse 21. When it was told Saul, he sent messengers. And he, they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time. And they also prophesied. I don't know if I read that twice or what happened, but you get the idea. Three times he sends messengers. Three times they end up prophesying. God opposes the messengers three times. And Saul is still bent on his will being done. So he says, if you want a job done right, you got to do it yourself. Verse 22. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Sukkot. And he said, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And he went and he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah, and he stripped off his clothes, and he prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul among the prophets? What I want you to see is that is a mirror of when Saul was confirmed as king. It's the exact same story, only one time. Earlier, it was told to confirm Saul as king. God is saying, I am with you to help you spiritually. Now it is God opposing Saul. Because Saul is opposed to the will of God, God is now opposing Saul and is slowing him down. It is Hannah's song. In, remember, all the way back, if you've been with us for a long time, all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah has a song or a prayer. A hymn to God. And she says in chapter 2, verse 7, all the way back to remember 19 now. But all the way back in chapter 2, verse 7, the second half of verse 7, she says, You raise up and you bring low. And I think the Spirit of God is descending on Saul 
to slow him down, to oppose him because he is opposing the will of God. Here's what I want you to see. Because Saul is living a my will be done life, I have to have my way, even though I know it's not God's way. God has to oppose him. Okay? His daughter is opposing him. His daughter is lying to him because she is opposing him because he has become the kind of guy that has to be lied to. And his own son is trying to reason with him and talk sanity into him. It is not good at all. It will not lead you in a good direction to live a my will be done life rather than a your will be done life. Okay, so David is, of course, on the receiving end of this hostility. David is the one that has to run away. David is the one that comes back into the throne room and gets spears thrown at him. David is the one that has to go to Samuel and then run away. There is no place safe for David to go. David will be on the run for the next several chapters. In fact, unbelievably, David will decide the safest place for him to go is with the Philistines later on in the book. When David is reflecting on this later in life, he writes Psalm 59. And I'd I'd like to turn there and tell you when things are moving from bad to worse because you're around people that live a my will be done life. So when, you, when your life is going from bad to worse because the people around you are rebelling against God and rebelling against God and rebelling against God and making your life harder and harder and harder, what is the one truth that you can hold on to? When I was, uh, well, one of my hobbies is riding my bike. And... So there's this one corner that I try to avoid because on the, this corner is like on top of a hill. And so you got to go up the hill from this direction or up the hill from that direction. So no matter what, you're going slow at the top of this hill. The problem is with that, there is a big angry dog that is not leashed on the top of that hill that loves to chase bikers. So, uh, one day, in a moment of, I don't know what, lack of foresight, I decided to take that road again. And here I am, coming down, getting ready to go up that hill, and I know what's waiting for me on the top of that hill. But I think, well, maybe this time I'm strong enough, I'm going to go fast enough, the dog won't get me. And so, I start just cranking. I mean... I have a road bike. It's set up for triathlon. So I'm down there in the, in the arrow position. I am cranking as hard as I can. And, uh, but it's uphill. And so I start to slow down. And as I'm slowing down, I hear the little dog start to bark. Alerting the big dog that I'm coming. And then I hear the big dog barking. And I see the big dog coming at me. Now, I'm already kind of past the house, but I'm not to the downhill yet. And I see the big dog coming at this angle right at me. And then I see this car coming, and I, this is how scared I am. I am not for dogs getting hit by cars. I'm really not. But this time I thought, I hope that dog gets hit by this car so it doesn't bite me. 
Now, I know, I know you're not going to listen to anything else I say because you're like, that guy, I'm just being honest. I was really scared. I didn't want to get bit by this dog. And so I'm, I'm going up, and the car is coming, and the dog misses the car. The car misses the dog. I don't know. And it's coming, and it just barely misses me. I don't know if I sped up or if it slowed down or what, but it just misses it just misses me, and I think, oh, I'm safe, because I hear its toenails skid off into the ditch, because it was going so fast. And, and I think, oh, thank you. So I let up a little bit, and then I hear the toenails on the blacktop behind me. It's coming back, and I'm like, oh, no, and I stand up, and I'm riding as hard as I can, and, and then I get to the downhill, and I lose it. That's one dog. When David is writing this psalm, In Psalm 59, he's writing about the time. Well, let me show you. So in Psalm 59, at the very top, it says, To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. David is remembering a time when there's a whole bunch of guys, creepy guys, outside his house waiting for him to come out so they could kill him. And he'll compare them to a pack of wild dogs that were trying to kill him. And there was no way for him to get away. There is no safe place for him to go. He just has this pack of angry dogs. And he's like, what do you do when there's a pack of angry dogs right outside your house waiting for you to come out? You got to come out eventually. What do you do? I want to read to you verse 9. And then I want to have the end of the psalm lodged in your mind. He prays in verse 9, O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O my God, are my fortress. What do you need? You need to remember that God is your strength. When you're surrounded by evil people that hate you, you need to remember that God is your strength. When the When you are at the end of it and you know that your resources are not enough, that your strength is not enough, that you can't handle it, that's when you need to learn this name for God. If I could lodge one truth about God in your mind for when things are going from bad to worse, it would be this name for God. Oh, my strength. That's verse 9. That when things are going from bad to worse for you, things are spiraling out of control and you feel itchy and angry and afraid, that you would learn to pray, oh, my strength. And what David says is God was for me like a fortress so that the angry dogs couldn't get me. God showed up for me like a fortress out of nowhere that would keep me safe from the angry dogs or angry people that were trying to get me. This is what he says again in verse 16 and 17. Why don't you flip over there? 16 and 17, he says, But I will sing of your strength, which is better than my strength. I'm so thankful that God is strong when I am weak. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress, a refuge in the day of my distress, Oh, my strength. 
I will sing praise to you, for you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. If I could lodge one truth about God in your mind, for when things are going from bad to worse, it is this name for God, O my strength. So what should we do? You know, if if that's what's true about God, what should we do? Well, first, I'd love for you to come to a a point of decision. I'd love for you to come to a point of decision on whether or not you will live a my will be done life or a your will be done life. Will you live my will be done or thy will be done? Which one will you do? You will have to decide or the default is my will be done. You know, I'm going to talk about that. The very, when I get here, I'm going to talk about that. First, I got to get them to see what you see, and then we can talk about that. We're going to talk about that. You, you got a lot of good points, though. That's what you're going. Yeah. So you got to decide whether you're going to live a my will be done life or a thy will be done life. And, and really, like, like Damien just said, it's not always an easy decision. And sometimes we build a lot of bad habits and we get going the wrong way quite a, quite a ways down the road. But I want you to think about when the resurrected Christ showed up to another guy named Saul. There's another guy by the name of Saul. And he's telling his story to another king. And he says, you know, the resurrected showed up, resurrected Christ showed up to me. This is in Acts chapter 26, verse 14. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now listen, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now that means nothing to us because we're not farmers. But what Saul then would become Paul was talking about was when you have an ox hooked up and you tell the ox to go right and you tell him with a goad, go right. And he doesn't want to go right. So he kicks at you and you're like, well, he can do that if he wants. And then you tell him to go right again and he kicks at you again. And then you tell him to go right again and he kicks at you again. And what the resurrected Christ says to this other guy named Saul is that's hard work. You want to keep doing that? Or do you just want to do what I'm telling you to do? How long do you want to fight against me? How long do you want to pose me? That's a really miserable way to live. Do you want to keep doing that? And, and I mean, I'd say to you, have you lost your temper enough times yet? I mean, have you? Have you drank enough yet? Have you worried enough yet? Have, have you gone your way far enough yet? It's a hard way to live. How long will you do that? It's hard for you and it's hard for everyone around you. So the first, the first really point of decision I want to bring you to is to live your will be done rather than my will be done. Okay, once you've decided that, now we're going to talk about it.
family is, you know, family is a hard thing, man. It is family. Not everybody likes our decisions in, in families. Families are, are part of the reason sometimes we go down the wrong track. Yeah. So how do you do this? Well, I'd like to take you to show you the Psalm 59 here, what David says. So David goes through this really hard, hard season, and he says, God is my strength. Remember, he gives you this name for God. Oh, my strength. When my strength isn't enough, God's strength is. He gives you this name for God. Now, how does David remember this? How does David keep this in mind? See what he says in verse 16. But I will sing. Then he says again in verse 16, I will sing aloud. Then he says again in verse 17, I will sing praise. So here's the second point of decision I want you to make. Okay. The first one was to choose God's will. Live a your will be done life. The second point of decision that we have to talk about is you need to live in God's strength. To lean into God's strength. Depend on God's strength. What you're going to face is too big for you to do all by yourself. You need God's strength to help you. And the way David did this was singing. Singing about God's strength. Singing about how God is a fortress for him. Singing about God's steadfast love. Singing about how God is like a refuge. So when you have the wild dogs chasing you, whether that's the worries and troubles of life, whether that's a physical illness, or whether that is people, whatever that is, it's saying, I'm just going to sing so I remember, so I believe that God is my strength. So this conscious decision to lean into God's strength. Sometimes the more stubborn and the more strong we are, the harder this is for us because we think we can do it on our own because we can do a lot on our own. And that means the harder and more trouble God has to bring into our life to bring us to a decision that we will lean not on our own strength, but on God's strength. So, what do, we want, what do we want to do? Okay, so what have we been talking about? We've been talking about living a your will be done life rather than a my will be done life. How should we do it? Okay, so what, then how. How should we do this? In God's strength. Now, why should we do it? Why should we live a your will be done life? Well, there's the negative reasons like it makes everyone else's life around you harder when you live a my will be done life. But there's also the positive reason of, in verse uh, 16 of Psalm 59, your steadfast love. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. And then it, it ends with verse 17. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you for you, O God, are my fortress the God who shows me steadfast love. And what David is saying is, God protected me with steadfast love. He loved me like a father. He allowed some tension into my life so that I would grow. But overall, God protected me like a fortress. God was there for me like a refuge. God is my strength and he was there for me. 
This is why you trust God is because God is a showing up God with us. God that his love for us. Is steadfast, not like Saul that comes and goes. But like a loving heavenly father that is consistent and consistent and consistent and consistent and consistent. So what do we do when the wild dogs are chasing us? What do we do when things go from bad to worse? What do we do? We choose to continue living a your will be done life. We do this in God's strength and we do this because of God's steadfast love. And and you do this really you do this because you think of how God protected David like a father, protected David like a son as David was like his son and he protects him. But then you think of how God, how God didn't protect his own son. But God allowed the wild dogs to come and take his own son. And as his own son suffered and died for your sins and for mine. As as we think about how God did not exempt himself from pain. He did not exempt himself from betrayal. He did not exempt himself from suffering, but he suffered and died for your sins and for mine. And when we remember that no matter what we're going through, that God loves us with steadfast love, it is sanity giving, it is stabilizing, and it is soul anchoring. May you lean into God's steadfast love. And Lord, I thank you for how you love us and how you watch over us and Lord, I thank you for how you allow tension into our lives. But whatever tension comes into our life, you let it in. And and you are king over. And no matter what we experience, we can remember that you love us with steadfast love. That your strength is strong enough for us to face whatever we're facing. Lord, I thank you for this. I I, I ask you to drive it deep into our souls as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.